Jaren Cacophony tells you that once again you're back listening to the Power of Three podcast and as you'll have just heard and in the background right now you can hear a remix by Dominic Glynn of his very own version of the Doctor Who theme from 1986 sometimes known as the trial theme or sometimes known as the Big Finish Sticks Doctor theme but it's gorgeous whatever you wish to call it I'm glad you tuned in to join us here today I'm Kenny Smith and I'm not travelling solo today. I've got a companion of my own. It's not Perry Brown. It's somebody who's far more stylish and a lot less American and a lot less well-developed in the chess department. It's a man who I can only refer to as one of my besties in the whole planet. And I'm, I can't say his name now. I better let him say it. Hello everyone, I'm David Steele, I'm Lolling, um, welcome back, thank you for joining us. Yes, welcome back to The Power of Three. What do we do in The Power of Three, Kenny? Well, in The Power of Three, we like to discuss, discourse, disagree sometimes, digest what's going on. We like a bit of disco. And on that note, any other thoughts, Dave? Yeah, yeah we, like to, um, we like to destroy, we like to determine, we like to detach, we like to drift, we like to be dead, no, we know, do we? We like to dig. We like to douse. We like to double what? Well, I'm not saying that. Yes, we do lots of things start with D. Hello, folks. And another D also, we're talking about Dominic Glynn. Dominic Glynn? Huge. Yes. Huge. Kenny, do you own the um do you own the nineteen eighty six twelve inch hologram vinyl of Dominic's version of the theme music? I most certainly do with the fine art castings. Yes, I got on there. Yes, I have that. I've got that. I, I got, got it from the BBC and shop in Glasgow. And I've been, I'm sitting here now trying to remember why I own it. Did so, I've got a feeling it, because I'm pretty sure I didn't buy it. I've got a feeling I might have traded it, traded something for it to get it off someone at school who had it. Let me, or someone at school got it for it. I can't remember. But I've had it for a very, very, very long time. And I remember sort of, I'm mining for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. I remember sort of sitting and doing all that and tilting it and trying to see. And yes, 1986, Trial of the Time Lord is nearly 40 years old. It's terrifying. Gosh. That certainly is unbelievable. And of course, Dominic made quite an impression given that not only did he do music for Mysterious Planet and Ultimate Four, or episodes one to four and 13 and 14, if you're pedantic about these things, we do like to make sure that our listeners are as satisfied as possible when it comes to these matters. He also got to rearrange the theme. Now that's yes. not a bad gig. Yeah, because it's very different from the Peter Howell version. Not the one I was expecting, because I wasn't quite fandom and in, in sort of aware of what fandom might be talking about. And it, but it's a weird one because I think it was it was only on that one series. For me, it's probably the the most the most nostalgic version of the theme. Even now, when when Big Finish uses it on Colin's stories. There's a sort of slight in the full length version. There's a, I'm not, I'm not articulate enough in, in musical phrasing or terminology. But there's a slight sort of dip that it does towards the end as it's sort of building up. And whenever I hear it on the 
you know, in the final episode of a BF story or whatever. I am, I am back. It is 1986 because I remember after Perry's sort of supposedly killed off, being super focused and you know really into it and avidly watching the last half, of, you know, the last half a dozen episodes or so, and it really does transport me more than any other version of the theme, and that's genuine. That's true. Fantastic. Look, I mean, you go from the, I suppose, like the Peter Hill sort of like. I mean, I don't know. For some reason, I always got in bed. It was like a Michael Field kind of version thing, that sort of seventies, yeah. early eighties synths, and yeah, then you go into Dominic, which, which is uh it's just it's got far more sort of mystery around it. I think the fact that you know a lot of the sounds there, you can almost hear question marks popping as the notes go mean? by. I don't, yeah. There's just some sort of eerie, not quite. I don't know. I don't want to say off tune because that's doing Dominic a disservice, but. It's got an ethereal quality to it, something ghostly about it. I know what you mean. I think that uh, gives it something different. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's, I mean, it's very unique. It's um, it's a shame they didn't give him a new visual title sequence to go with it, in a way. It might have kind of, um, would probably, I think it would have worked even better if they'd done that. But it's it's a weird one. Like, I was really pleased when um, when Big Finish started using it. And it's, it's, of course, you know, sometimes they don't use it. Sometimes if it's a, if it's a Colin and Perry story, They'll use the the Peter Hill one, obviously, because it's set during season twenty-two. I mean, I'm looking forward to the Mighty Quinn set to see what they do there. You know, which versions of the theme that they use sort of throughout. Um, that would be interesting. Yeah, no, that that, that yeah, because like uh, that's 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 what I'm thinking of it because because you know <laughs> anyway, Quinn dilemma. No, it's the Mighty Quinn because that was in the front of Vortex. <laughs> There's, you know, there's one other thing that Dominic did, which we should talk about before we get started talking to him. We don't want to ramble too long before he comes on. Let's talk about Doctor Who variations on a theme. Oh, the terror version. Yes. All hail the terror version. Like, you know, Kenny and I listeners have, have talked often in the last year or so on the show about what we sort of did to get by when there wasn't a TV show and all this sort of thing. We've talked endlessly about the books that we, that we read and all that sort of thing, but Doctor Who variations on a theme was a big deal because it was, I mean, I can't remember if it was, if the series had finished or not by the time it came out. I think it had. I think it had. So something like Doctor Who variations and a theme was just like, it was like food to a starving man, quite frankly. And everyone has a laugh, obviously, at the, um, the flamenco version, whatever, by Kef McCulloch, which obviously we all, we all used to fast forward on the, the John Nathan Turner years tapes. Um, but the terror version was amazing because I, I just listened to that to death. My mate Barry, right, who won't be listening, all right, Baz, who doesn't give a monkeys about Doctor Who, got me to tape on the terror version because it sounded amazing. It was like, you know, it was like Doctor Who done in the style of theme tune to the Terminator or something. It was like, we all imagined this on the big screen. And I think it was very, I remember when the TV movie started thinking, well, that's quite similar to the terror version in a way. But it's that long, slow build up and then the bam, 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 bam. And it was superb. It was the one that I played the most. I mean, um, poor Mark Ayers, his version was quite nice. <laughs> but it wasn't. So that's my morning wake up alarm tone because it's a nice calm right. version, the Doctor Who theme, the mood version. You can really dance to the Mark Ayers version in the same way that you could dance to the Kef McCulloch version. Indeed, mm-hmm. the way I'm dancing to the Kef McCulloch version right now for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. But Dominic's version was astonishing, don't you think? 
absolutely. I mean, it starts, I mean, you can almost picture like eerie Victorian streets and yeah, you know, somebody right. stalking them and it builds up. Or, yeah, or like post, probably nowadays you'd probably imagine like post Time War Gallifrey with like crashed Dalek saucers and broken Tardises all over the place. Yeah. Of course, yeah. we used that in over in Pieces of Eight when we did Doctor Who and the Time War, the Russell T. Davis or sort of short story that he'd written. That's right. And we so used that music as, as soon as the right. Doctor presses the moment and activates it. And That's we right. used that bit of music in the background and it absolutely suited perfectly. So just the apocalyptic nature of everything. And yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a cracker. Um, no, I'd have to say Dominic, I think, is very diverse because you look at what he did, you know, Ice World and mm. Dragonfire, mm. sort of very sort of cold, frozen towns, a big mm -hmm. organ. Then yeah. you move, then you move on to the Happiness Patrol, very bluesy, harmonica led, and then you go to Survival and guitar led. Yeah, I mean that's it. I think compare him to um, to his contemporaries, you know, be it Mark Ayers or Keith McCullough, who we both, you know, who we adore, absolutely, absolutely. love everything he did. But you're right. I mean, the harmonica stuff, Happiness Patrol is is next level the guitars and survival i mean i don't think doctor who used electric guitars before in the score i, think so. I don't think so but it really it really good at doing that sort of um really evocative of that whole sort of desert situation on the the cheetah planet but yeah and the sort of um all the stuff in dragonfire you know dragonfire is a bit of a wall of sound actually because you've got all the shopping center announcements and things going on as well but yeah the um in the oh what's the sort of ice garden type place with you know there's, yep. there's a sort of Blinky thing going on, yeah. It's um a real sort of soundscape. He's he's very skilled, very underrated, I think, because I think in the McCoy era especially, people just sort of tend to focus on the bombastic sort of synthstab stuff that Kef did, you know, which is joyous, obviously. And as a picture and, um, voice fan, I completely agree. I love oh yeah, it. oh man, hey, as you know, Guardian Angel by Nino D'Angelo. There we go. When it comes to orchestral stabs, that's the one. Do you know what I'm saying? But. Dominic, I think, shows his you know his his own versatility as a composer and a musician throughout. And I don't know if he recorded the harmonica stuff himself, but no, he's very skilled, very underrated though. I think. Absolutely. Let's I mean, start, I with, actually Dominic, was... let's start with Dominic Glenn Renaissance. Yeah, also, I don't know if you're aware. I mean, as you know, Dave, and I'm sure listeners who tuned in regularly when we talk about music stuff, I do have a very soft spot for '90s electronic dance music and such like. And of course, that's something that Dominic often did quite a lot of under the name Syzygy in right. the 90s. And he's going to tell us some more about that later on. I was actually new of Syzygy, but I didn't realize it was Dominic, which actually is when I found out, it was like, it makes perfect sense. It's just, this is just my world's colliding, my 90s colliding. It's, which is wonderful. And you can find quite a lot of stuff on YouTube. So uh, Dominic right. will tell us more about that very soon. But of course, the reason we're talking to him is actually because, as you just mentioned, Survival, he's recently issued the Survival Remixes, which is a collection of songs that you can purchase from him directly if you get in touch with him on social media. He'll tell us about that later on. And he's done previous remixes of things from Happiness Patrol, Mysterious Planet, and generally his Doctor Who theme. So he's going to tell us all about those and how they all came about. Would you like to hear from them, Dave, and hear what he's got I'd, to say? I'd love to. I was all. I remember when when Toby had him on Who's Round. It was one of the best interviews. It was it was really really interesting. So I'm really glad that you've got him on too. So over to Dominic. Okay, I'm Dominic Glynn. I was known to many as the composer for Doctor Who in the late '80s, between '86 and '89. Um, I've also had a long career since then, writing music for TV and film. 
and also dabbling in underground electronica um, and I'm still at both of those things now. Fantastic. Dominic, welcome to The Power of Three. It is a real joy. My inner 12-year-old is bursting with excitement as I was 12 when I first heard your work in Trial of a Time Lord. Wow, that makes me feel very old. But you were only 13, so it's all good. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I was a precocious child. (laughs) Child prodigy. Fantastic. (laughs) So when did your interest in music begin, and particularly in the electronic? Yeah, good question. Well, I mean, I was always surrounded by music at home, so all my family were into music. My mum used to play the piano. She used to teach children basic piano. Um, My brother was a, a musician. He's a trained musician, whereas I come from a very different Uh, side of music I never I was too lazy to learn so I just taught myself so I'm I'm completely self-taught in music but my brother yeah he went down the route of studying classical piano and he's a fantastic pianist and everything Um, so we were always listening to music we always had record players we used to collect stuff Um, we used to discover film soundtracks and um, my sister influenced me a lot I've got an older sister and she was very much into sort of early prog rock and singer-songwriters and stuff like that. I listened to all this stuff and had absorbed Pink Floyd and I absorbed John Barry and I absorbed jazz and classical and it all just went in and got jumbled up in my head. And um, when I was at school, I wanted to be in a band. So me and a few friends started a band and kind of got hooked and then uh, I left school and I still had the bug to want to write music and be a, a, you know, a musician and try and earn a living from it. And it took me about seven years after leaving school before I actually managed to get somebody to pay me to do it. And that was when I got the work doing Doctor Who. That's amazing. I mean, like yourself, my mum was very musical. Um, you know, she was, you know, she loved her show tunes classical music um my dad was always into his jazz and things like that but mm. i think it was you know, things like doctor who that really sparked my interest in electronic music and obviously your work's part of that you know having grown up and that's very much where sort of that became my thing yeah just having sort of branched off because you know having an appreciation of the classics and things like that. I mean, particularly, um, I mean, when William Orbit did Pieces in a Modern Style, that is just one of my most listened to albums of right. like the late 90s, just sort of right. these classics, but done with synths, yeah. beautifully, yeah. beautifully done. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he was a fantastic producer, actually, yeah. I mean, I, my, uh, my link to electronic music almost came about kind of through chance because I was a keyboard player so I, you know I, I, the one instrument I could dabble with was a piano and then when we started the band you couldn't really carry a grand piano around with you to perform so I bought a keyboard and um, in fact I even bought a keyboard off one of my teachers at school so I just got into keyboards and then I found the whole idea of a synthesizer to be absolutely oh, you know absolutely inspiring and um then I got into synthesizers as a result of that. So then I was a synth bod. And um, and of course, naturally, Doctor Who, uh, a show that I'd loved all my life anyway, was the perfect outlet for somebody who made electronic music. So that's kind of how I got into doing electronics as a, as a kind of style of music. Yeah, I imagine there was a case of getting in touch with John Nathan Turner, sending him demo, and then you'd got, you, then you got the phone call to say come and have a chat and then yeah. it all yeah. grew from there 
Very much so, yeah, yeah. Um, and it wasn't, as I often say to people, it wasn't the kind of competition that there is now for, for work as a as a composer working at home on electronic music or, or music produced at home on, um, you know, relatively uh, modest equipment. There weren't thousands of people trying to get that work. So in a way, the, the field was narrower that I was trying to get into. But um, But there must have been a certain amount of luck there in the sense that my letter to John Nathan Turner producer of Doctor Who obviously arrived at the right time because he had think thoughts in his head of going a different route for, for the music from what he'd been doing over previous years. So. And then, of course, being asked to do a new version of the theme, which is wonderful, the fact that it's that standalone, it's the trial season, it's the trial theme. Although, of course, Big Finish have used that a hell of a lot in yeah. the years since then and it's become yeah. the sixth Doctor's theme. To my mind, it's the that's yeah. the tune you go to and for the nice Colin. thing is, I mean, Colin thinks of it as his theme as well. He always describes it as his theme. So I kind of quite like that, yeah. That must have been quite daunting to say, here you are, young guy, first TV job, give us a Doctor Who theme. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't anything I'd sought out. I'd not looked for the job to do the music the theme music I'd, I'd sort of written to John Nathan Turner suggesting I wrote the incidental music so it was quite a shock to be suddenly asked to do the theme music and yeah it is daunting because it's a you know it's a classic isn't it and you know you meddle with a classic at your peril <laughs> um, and the result is that you know some people love what I did and some people detest what I did so it's actually it's a, a, a Marmite theme as I always say some people go one way with it some people go the other way with it and that's that's fine I'm quite happy with that it's effectively two themes in many ways when you consider the mono version sounds completely different from the stereo version and I love them both oh well, that's good to know yeah well the uh, the stereo version actually was the version that we did for the BBC records release which um it involved a bit more work and uh, you know we remixed it I, I remixed it and added lots of bits and pieces to it made it longer and you know made a 12 inch mix of it and all this sort of thing um so yeah it did go undergo through some changes to, to produce the stereo version and so they love them both but i think because they sound so different and it's it's a great experience just listening to the, through them for Christmas, I got a wonderful new pair of headphones, and yeah, I've listened to all the Doctor Who theme variations on it just to just to hear how different they sound. And it's quite amazing uh, when you've got a good stereo set of headphones, yeah. just hearing where everything's placed. Wonderful stuff. So I suppose that doing the music, being able to sort of put your own signature on it, um, you know, just to to do the fact you know you got Mysterious Planet and the Ultimate Four in your first season, so to get six episodes out of the fourteen they were doing, that's not a bad way to make an entrance. Yeah, I mean originally, well, it was it was four originally. Although initially, I think obviously because they were taking a chance, they gave me one episode, so I was just commissioned for episode one initially, and then once. John Nathan Turner decided he liked what I did. Um, he then commissioned me for the next three, and I thought that was it for the year. But uh, then he came back to me and said, "Actually, would you like to do the last two as well?" Of course, I said, "Yeah, I'd love to do the last two. And it was he wanted to bookend it musically with the same kind of feel that he'd started the season off with. So I was more than happy to uh, to do the last two as well. Yeah, it was lovely. For, you know, there's those doing what so much of TV does now just by having little themes like Glitz's theme popping up in there and just the different themes for different characters which Doctor Who hadn't particularly done up until that point really 
and sort of you're sort of kickstarting that off just like you know like the the wee tune for glitz which you later brought back for dragonfire as well yeah yeah well spotted yeah well it was actually um as i recall i think it was a suggestion from uh, nick mallet the um the director of uh, mysterious planet i think he had said or could we come up with a few themes for some of the characters so i think that's where that came from actually i i I remember not wanting to overdo it because i remember thinking i don't like it where you have too much of that you know every time a character comes on screen here comes their little tune so i wanted to try and be a little bit subtle with it do it a few times and and just incorporate it into the into the general incidental music that was going on at the time rather than making a big thing of it um, but it's nice to ask something some, something recognisable for some of the characters. I think that's quite good. Oh, definitely is. It definitely is. And I think that uh, it, it gave a very distinct feel to that season. So obviously there's Malcolm Clark came in and did his. Uh, Richard Clark did Mind Warp. So there's the fact that very different... Uh, Har- Richard uh, Hartley. Uh, Har- yeah, Richard um, Hartley. Richard Hartley, Hartley, sorry, yes. Hartley, yeah. Richard, Richard Clark did Terra Hawks, the very similar okay. style. And right. yes, um, thank you for sort of, yeah, I always get That's mixed right. up. Um, <laughs> I love I love both, I should point yeah, out. Yeah. Um, mm. So yeah, I suppose, here you go, you've made your made an impact, and I suppose that's quite a thing that friends and family would be quite impressed. I think uh, here's our Dominic, he's, uh, he's made a, a good wee start for his career. Yeah, I was lucky to get my start with a very, very well-known show. You know, a lot of people, you know, work in TV and film. They don't get the, the break that I got to get such a, a popular show. I say popular. It was actually obviously coming towards the end of its life, sadly, at the time. But, yeah, you know, it had a traditional legacy behind it that meant, oh, God, everybody knew Doctor Who. It wasn't like a, a new thing that may or may not be a hit. You know, it was it was a massive hit. Um, so, yeah, incredibly lucky, really. So what sort of keyboards were you using around this time? This is my geeky side is always quite interested in this. Well, as I'm always lamenting when I do interviews about how I started working on Doctor Who, I had a very limited setup. I was 24, I think, when I first got offered the work and I was really, you know, I just had a, a basic day job and I just didn't have enough money to set up a studio as such. And... Um, I had to make do with what I had as the keyboard player in my band, basically. Uh, so I had, keyboard-wise, I had a Korg 770, which I'm looking at now, just still sat in front of me. And I had a Yamaha DX21. And what else was I running? Oh, uh, Roland Juno 6, which I'm also looking at at the moment. Um, and they were the, the main, well, the only elements of sound making that I used on the first season of Doctor Who and the theme. And I was putting it all down onto eight track tape so when i my job my day job at the time i was working for the civil service in the health and safety executive and i um i i resigned i slammed my fist on the desk and i resigned and said i'm not working here anymore and i took my pension which i'd worked out my five years of civil service pension and i used that money to buy the eight track system to record stuff this was I wouldn't say it's pre-MIDI. MIDI did, was around, but it was very new, and I certainly didn't have MIDI. And um, everything was played to, by hand to tape uh, for season for the first season I worked on. And um, yeah, so that was it. Very basic setup. I didn't have a proper studio. I just had a room, bedroom in my flat, and um, you know I did it from there. Of course, around this time, the charts are absolutely full of 
electronic music and as we were discussing beforehand my favourites Pet Shop Boys When the Rise Erasure were there Vince Clark and various forms and you know, Depeche Mode and various others so what sort of stuff were you listening to around this time? Yeah, it's interesting because definitely I, I felt that electronic music was coming into its own. You know, first of all, at last, a keyboard player was going to be like the keyboard players were king from the mid 80s to the sort of mid to late 90s, I felt. Anyway, um, what was I listening to in the 80s? Oh, God, well, quite a wide range of stuff. Certainly, yeah, like Pet Shop Boys stuff. I liked, um, you know, there was a little crossover from stuff I liked in the early 80s, Depeche Mode. You know, I, I loved early craft work so one of the things that most influenced me about making electronic music was listening to auto auto autobahn let's get it right for the first time because that just sounded so bizarre <laughs> but it had that holy grail that i've often looked for with electronic music where you could be experimental but not not disappear up some alley of being esoteric it's kind of accessible but experimental and i think i was always into that i mean i synth-wise and electronic music-wise, I, I loved Tangerine Dream in the earlier years. And that just used to, I used to sit there with the headphones on, the lights off, and drift off into space. Because that was kind of what it did for me. You know, it just took me on a journey. So, yeah, I was in a, into a wide variety of stuff, mostly probably synth-based, um, because there was a lot of it around in those days. I'm never, never a crazy guitar head person. So, yeah. Now, um, to quote Neil Tennant in uh, Can You Forgive Her, I dance to disco because I don't like rock. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. I get that. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So, of course, you come back to do a story in every season of Doctor Who throughout the McCoy years. Yeah. And again, I suppose it's nice to keep your hand in, although we're just doing one story a season, which it's a shame never got more. Not there's no, nothing against Kef and Mark Ayers, but mm. uh, I think it's because yours was sort of the music that I really, really enjoyed. You know, it's, I was just, just don't tell the guys I said that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might hear this. Um, no, I mean, I wish there'd been more episodes, you know, it would have been mm -hmm. nice to have. What I did appreciate about uh, Doctor Who in those days was the fact that they did have multiple composers. I, you know, I often mention this when people talk to me about that. I think it's a shame that they only use one composer now. Uh, I think the show really benefited from having a different set of ears, different brain on the music side for different stories because the show varies so much. You know, you, you have so much variety in the stories in Doctor Who. I think you should have variety in the music. That would be my uh, suggestion to whoever's running the show. Try out having more than one composer. You know. You got a really good mix of settings, which obviously lent themselves to different types of music, particularly with Dragonfire having sort of all those icy crystalline sounds and big organs. And mm. then you go to the Happiness Patrol, which is a more bluesy score and harmonicas in there. And then we get survival and all those guitars and that sort of Western kind of feel. So for mm. you as a musician, that's really pushing you and sort of not letting you rest in your laurels for a minute. No, I, was, I mean, to be honest, I was very lucky to get those stories because they all had a musical, something you could really grab hold of musically. So, yeah, instantly Dragonfire, having discussions with the director about Dragonfire long before it was in production, Ice, you know, the whole thing is it, it's it's cold. And he just, you know, try and make the music icy. And, you know, so you immediately your brain is thinking about how to make sounds that are cold and, you know... Um, frosty 
and then you had um, the Happiness Patrol, which was very music-based anyway. You know, the whole concept of the lead character, guest character, was he was a jazz blues harmonica player. So, again, early discussions before it had gone into production were about the music and how we could really incorporate the blues into the traditional electronic soundtrack of Doctor Who. And that, again, really for me really exciting and um something to experiment with i was very happy to do that and survival again the director alan waring was very much into well he was i think he said dire straits he wanted something that conjured up a sort of wild west but uh, you know kind of landscape with electric guitars and all this sort of stuff and I again I was thinking I love the idea of mixing things together so again it's an electronic soundtrack but you're bringing in a rock guitar or a spaghetti western style acoustic guitar and blending that with the soundtrack and I just thought it really gave it an identity so very lucky to get those scripts really Happiness Patrol, of course, give you the chance to do some effective music as well in the background oh, just for that. <laughs> I was always getting asked to do music. It just, again, oh, coincidence, but yeah, I was I, several times I got a script that required music. So even in survival, there's music I had to write in the shop where um, Hale and Pace are uh, the shop owners and everything, and there's music coming out of the tannoy in the shop. And uh, there's about 10 minutes worth of it I had to write in here. We didn't use, obviously, all of it. And also, in the Happiness Patrol, I had the double-edged sword having to write Muzak, which obviously could be pretty awful anyway, but to make it even more awful than it really is. So we did things like sort of made it go up and down in pitch. The idea of it being that it's just sounded horrible, although the idea of it was that it's supposed to make everybody feel calm and happy and everything. And, of course, that's all part of the script. Great to write Muzak that was genuinely horrible. <laughs> seemed to come quite naturally to me yeah so tell us a bit about your other television work that uh, sort of obviously Doctor Who was sort of like the kickstart for it yeah funny old uh, career as far as music directly for TV is concerned so when I was doing Doctor Who that kind of led on to a few things I did quite a lot of work for BBC Schools TV so there was quite a healthy department at the BBC making TV education and shows that you know many of us used to when we were at school would they just wheel the tv set into the room and everybody would sit and watch their 25 minute history program or whatever it was so i did quite a few of those in the early 90s and i did some children's tv and um odds and ends really in the early in the early years but um the bulk of my work that came after doctor who was uh, in production library music and that is music which ends up in TV and film and radio and advertising. And but it's it's pre-written in advance um, to a brief, not for a specific program, but for a general genre or um, you know a, a feeling or a style or whatever. Um, and it's commissioned by music publishers and made available for, to TV directors and editors and film directors and all this sort of thing. So that that has been really my main job ever since Doctor Who and I've just written thousands of pieces of music which have appeared in God knows how many TV shows and you kind of lose track and you don't always know where your music's going to end up in fact you very rarely do know until either you hear it because you're watching the programme or you see your royalty statement and you go oh yeah I had some music in The Simpsons or I had some music in <laughs> Homeland or whatever it was or or more likely Homes Under the Hammer or something you know it just crops up in odd places you know 
Yeah, because one of your successors is the is a Doctor Who composer, John Sponster, who worked on the '96 TV movie. That's oh, his right. line of work now in America. He's running uh, a company that deals with with music like that. So. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of library music around, and that's the other thing. Um, there are thousands now of library music companies. It's such a competitive world. If you're trying to get into writing music for for, for TV and film and media, um, there's a lot of people out there doing it, a lot of companies putting the stuff out, and you've really got to sort of try and stand out, you know, so that people find your music. That's yeah. how it works. But of course, it wasn't just that music you were working on in the 90s as... There was uh, stuff that uh, people could get up and listen to and, on a Friday or a Saturday night or any night of the week, whenever they chose to go out. That was the 90s. Yeah. You could go out any night of the week and enjoy. Yeah, I was matter, a student. I regularly did. Yeah. Well, me too. Well, um, yeah, I got into big time into doing techno, house and techno music um, and to some extent a bit of chill out stuff. But it was all kind of underground electronic dance music, which came into its own in the 90s. Um and I think was the most innovative time for music. There was so much new music happening at that time, which never said, it didn't sound like anything that had gone before. And I remember being, you know, very much uh, a fan of, you know, a lot of the sort of underground DJs and, and artists of the time, and many of whom became my friends. I was very lucky to, to meet and, and become good friends with a lot of the DJs around at the time. And uh, and the music producers, and it was a real community. And um, and I worked with a label called Rising High Records, which was a big underground label in the UK, kind of at the end of rave music. And they got into hardcore, and they got into chill out. And um, you know, I did quite a few releases under the name Syzygy with a partner of mine, Justin Mackay. Some of that stuff is still getting re-released now, weirdly. So um, still has another life. <laughs> I suppose that must have been quite a euphoric feeling for yourself you know particularly because no doubt you'd be along there performing it and then you could just see everybody just hitting this, those notes just somehow triggering something and that yeah. euphoria that we perhaps we all needed when we were we'd been having difficult jobs or difficult times and then just yeah. to let yourself go on the floor and just off you go it's quite a thrill when you've made a dance track and you're in a club and you hear it coming over the spit and you see everybody doing their thing to it. Yeah, that was one of the greatest thrills, actually. I was, I, I absolutely loved that. I think you can tell that I was there. Uh, yeah, 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 I get that feeling. Yeah, perhaps more than a lot of people know. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the thing, sort of, you know, you think of when 90s dance music, an awful lot of it sort of being electronic piano based to give you your, your basic structure. And then just everything grew from there. It could just, it could go really dark and heavy, or it could just become your really like almost like sub pop tunes. Mm. And, but then, of course, it crossed into the mainstream, particularly towards the end yeah. of the decade, yeah, which, of is just, which is just incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's what always happens with underground music. You know, it, it, yeah. it tends to be underground for a while. People pick up on it. One or two maybe big pop stars pick up on that sound. I mean, I, for example, I used to go to a club called Knowledge in uh, in Victoria, in London, and there were one or two sort of well-known pop artists, for want of a better word, or, or even indie. Some of them were sort of like indie guitar bands, and they used to go to the same club. But they were actually really into techno. That's what they were into. But they happened to be in a band and they were guitarists, sort of. But what they really loved was techno. And it's interesting how that kind of did eventually filter through into some of the work that these people ended up doing, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, particularly when you hear some of the stuff that Judge Jules and the likes would play on a Friday night on yeah. Radio One, stuff that, yeah. you know, perhaps in 95 you had to go to a club just to hear. But then yes. it's on Radio One being broadcast to millions, you know, yeah. three, then, four years later. It's incredible. People like people like Fatboy Slim, who kind of brought that kind of sound into the real mainstream, you know. Yeah. But yes, in the early days, it was certainly really underground and, uh, you know, people didn't know about it. Rave music, obviously, raves were a thing, but the actual music from raves was really yet to filter through into the mainstream. Yeah, I suppose in some ways, like what, um, like the Prodigy bringing quite a lot of it were some of yeah, the... Yeah, they, they were a good example of um, of a band that crossed over from, from the underground, certainly. When they started, clearly they were underground and uh, made the big time. Yeah. But of course, more recent years, you've been returning to Doctor Who and been remixing some of your old works. Could you maybe tell us about where the idea for that came about and, and how they've been going? Yeah. And of course, your most recent release. Yeah, I mean, I think um, there was a little bit of a crossover with what I was just talking about. So um, a lot of the, the people, I, I met lots of people through doing dance music who uh, often said to me, oh, could you let me borrow your tapes of your Doctor Who soundtracks because I want to sample them I want to you know make some tracks out of some of these something I I sort of held back from letting people do it because I remember thinking oh, I think I could probably do that myself actually one day and I just never got around to doing it and then what happened was I did the Gallifrey One convention in Los Angeles one year in fact it was 10 years ago it was 2014 and uh, the first time I did it and um, I thought what can I do I always think when I go to conventions, I always think, well, what can I do that's a bit different? So I'm a composer and not an actor. And obviously people who are actors are they're full of anecdotes about their entertaining things that happened while they're working on Doctor Who and all this sort of stuff. And I think as a composer who sits in a quiet room on his own, well, not quiet room, a loud room on his own, <laughs> you're, you're quite isolated when you're doing Doctor Who. And you have a little bit of interaction with a director and a little bit of interaction occasionally when you go to the set or whatever but you're generally speaking you're on your own so when you go to a convention they want to know interesting stories I haven't got masses of stories but I have got the fact that I'm a musician I thought well I can do something that's different I'll actually do a, a, a mix live on the stage so what I did was I took the elements of the Doctor Who theme which I had you know kept and I had worked on a remix of it and I thought I'll just do a live mix of it on stage so I, I took my computer did an interview and then at the end of the interview, I said, well, I'll, I'll, now we're going to do this live mix of a, of a new arrangement of the Doctor Who theme based on my original version. And it went down really well and everybody loved it. And they all came up to me and said, where can we buy it? I said, well, you can't buy it. I just did it for the convention. It wasn't something I'd thought about. And then the more people said that to me, the more I thought, well, why don't I just release it? And I'll do a couple of other versions. I didn't want to put out just one track. So it ended up being an EP of four new versions of my arrangement of the Doctor Who theme, and that was became the Gallifrey remixes. And inevitably, because of my love of dance music and electronica and underground electronica, I ended up sort of blending my background in electronic dance music with my, you know, ideas of what Doctor Who music should be like, and it ended up being this strange amalgamation of the two. And, uh, yeah, that became the first of the EPs. And then, because um, it went well and people bought it and they liked it, I thought, well, there's a lot more where that came from. I could work on the incidental music. You know, after all, I did 50, 60, I don't know how many episodes, uh, episodes of Doctor Who as well. So then that became the Ravelox remixes, which was 
a bit from each or well, from each story but from several of the stories that I'd done just one track and um, and also an, a new version of a thing called the terror version of the theme which I did in 1990 for a floppy record on the front of Doctor Who magazine yep, variations again, on a theme that's the one yeah people are always asking for it and I thought well yeah you know and I listened to it I thought well, it sounds a bit dated now but I'll update it which is what I did so, so that went on the Ravalox remixes Subsequently, I've done the Happiness Patrol, and I've now just done Survival, and that's the latest one which has just come out. And uh, you know, it's a, for people like you who particularly have a thing about dance music as well, or electronic music. It seems to be right up their street. So if it combines a love of Doctor Who with a love of house techno, underground dance music, clubbing, whatever, it seems to hit the right spot. Definitely does. I mean, the I mean the remix of the of the theme particularly adding in like the samples of Colin at the start and just all wonderfully done and all all officially done too yeah well, it was quite nice it was quite nice to do that with Colin so I did it at I think oh, was it at Chicago time I can't remember which event it was but one of the conventions Colin did his bit on that live and that was great fun to do you know his little speech about Dalek Cybermen you know we're stuff. mad conspirators yeah, exactly. Santarans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I suppose that's the thing. It sort of gives you that extra little element that, you know, an extra thrill for yourself that yeah. here's some of your work being performed and you've got a front man for it to, well, to start yeah, off at least. Yeah, that's right. You, yeah, you are main, a new pet shop boys, you and Colin. The main, yeah, the main character was on stage with me. Yeah. 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 That's fantastic. So, where can people purchase these wonderful remixes? Well, if you want them as a download, they're available from all the normal download places where you'd get Apple Music or your iTunes or whatever it is and Amazon Music and all that kind of normal digital music supplier but I'm also selling them as CDs which I'll sign personally and they can be got from me via any of my social media so uh, if you look me up on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram uh, wherever wherever I am you'll find me if you search for me and then there's a I've got a post on on my page each time so people can order them directly from me Fantastic. Well, Dominic, it's been an amazing career and we've managed to somehow condense it into about 35 minutes. So thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with The Power of Three. And of course, we will encourage everybody to go out and get those remixes because they're damn good. Thank you. Really kind of you. Thanks. Good to speak to you, Kenny. And thank you, Dominic Glynn. Absolutely amazing. Had a great chat. I actually could have spoken to him for quite a lot longer, as you can imagine, as you know, with me, with my 90s synths and pop and electronics and Pet Shop Boys and uh, Erasure and New Order and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, Dominic Glenn, I'm I'm impressed. Once again, the Infinite Address book strikes again. Dominic, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Really appreciate it. You know, on behalf of 15-year-old us who were, you know, yes. loving your work on the show back in the day, we really appreciate it. It's great. Thank you. Wonderful. And we should, of course, mention that if anybody wants to find out more, you can find our Facebook group and you can get us in there. You can get episode links and sometimes post extra little bits when Dave reminds me to because Dave's brilliant at that and I'm a bit forgetful in these things. But yes, we've got some of those coming up. We've got our Power of Three Twitter, which is at Power of Three Pod. That's number three, not written out. And you can find us on the social media too. I'm at Finished Zine. Dave, you can find at... Yes, I'm at David Steele, but I'm really angry on Twitter at the moment, so you're probably best to stay away. Um, I will, of course, as usual, plug the Earth 2 podcast. 
Peter still hasn't been able to resume recording at the moment, but our pal Steve Higgins has helped me out. So the next four episodes are recorded in the canon being worked on. So we've managed to get back on the proper schedule at last, which is good. But Peter's on the mend. We hope to start recording again very soon. Good stuff. Well, get well soon, Peter, because we do miss you over on Earth 2, which I do Absolutely. listen to every... I've not listened to today's episode as we speak. We're recording on the 8th of February. And uh, yeah, we've not... Not he- I've not heard your episode today, but I most definitely will be tuning in Good. later on Good. when I go for a walk uh, Good. at early evening time. So yes, yes. good one. I'm, I'm about at, at the time of at the time of recording. I'm about halfway through it. So there we are. There we go. Brilliant. Boy. Well, no listeners, thank you for joining us and tuning in. Thank you to Dominic and also Dave. Have you got yes. a question for me? Yes. Well, I'm hoping that we're going to play out with something by Dominic today, Kenny. Could you tell us what that would be? Absolutely. It's actually a track from the Survival Remixes by Dominic Lynn, and it's called Cat Flap. And as Dominic said, you can contact him on social media or you can purchase it through a particular large website that takes over the well, world bit by bit. You may, well just, you may as well just name the website. You may as well name yes, it. Yes, Amazon. If it gets, if it gets mm. Dominic some deserved money, then go yes. for it. Yes. On Amazon. Dominic's work is amazing. And you can find it on Amazon. Yes, I see what you did there. Anyway, Anyway, Dave, this has been episode 199. That'll do. That'll do. Gosh. Next time with episode 200. On that bombshell. Take care, folks. I've been David Steele. I've been Kenny Smith. This has been the Power of Three podcast. Bye.